Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including life groups, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. We get to extend hope this Christmas. I want to say a quick thank you to the many of you that have already been doing that. Those of you that brought in over 300 gifts for Tree of Giving to almost 30 of you who spent Friday volunteering and helping over 100 parents and guardians shop over in Broadway Commons for their children. It was an incredible event. So thank you so much for being part of Tree of Giving. Parents from our partner elementary schools are able to come. They're able to pick out the gifts, wrap them, and they will themselves get to give those gifts to their kids on Christmas morning. Would you celebrate that? Thanks for giving hope. Others of you are giving hope in other ways. You're volunteering for various local organizations around our city. You're opening your homes to neighbors and friends. You're writing generous year-end checks and just giving hope and extending hope in that way this Christmas. I also want to toss out another just pretty simple way that you can extend hope this, this Christmas. On Christmas Eve, we'll be having our annual Christmas Eve service here at Sam Alliance. We're going to do it on the 24th on Christmas Eve. We're not going to change that tradition. I've learned to respect traditions, and we'll be even having our normal traditions of glow sticks and the hallelujah course, but I hope you join us for that and consider bringing a friend, bringing a family member, bringing a neighbor, someone to join us. We'll have services at 1, 3, 5, and then our 11 o'clock service where we kind of usher in Christmas together. If you aren't able to join us, for those of you on live stream, welcome, and if you want to join us on Christmas Eve, that service will be live streamed at 3 o'clock, American Sign Line language as well as Swahili, French, and Spanish will also be live translation happening at three o'clock. Omni, if you have kids from infants all the way up to five years old, will be available at one o'clock and three o'clock. But would you please consider extending hope by inviting some in to celebrate with us on that morning? How many of you were here two weeks ago where we kicked off this joy series? A number of us in the room. Hey, as a pastor, there's certain times up here where I go off script and I say things and then I have to come back and I've got to apologize for something that I said. On that day, I was talking about expectant joy and I was talking about how like sometimes when we're waiting for something, it actually is better than it really is. And I started to talk about this place called Sister's Coffee. Some of you said that I crossed the line. (laughs) I made a comment that maybe the coffee's not quite as good as some of you think, that it's actually just that hour and 45 minute ride over, that it's the clean bathrooms, that it's just this anticipation that builds. And so today I just humbly um, am gonna wear my sister's coffee sweatshirt (laughs) and drink out of my sister's coffee mug. Would you humbly uh, receive my apology and, and also know that it's not Sister's Coffee in there? Because <laughs> the best coffee in all of Oregon is served across the street at Broadway Coffee House. Amen? Amen. Hey. Unity in the room. It's a good thing. Hey, we're continuing on in our series on joy, and we've been defining joy as more than an emotion. And though it's connected to happiness in some ways, we know that joy, it just goes above the circumstances of of happiness. It's a blessing from the Holy Spirit. We can be filled with it. It's a discipline that we we get to develop. And we've defined joy as grace leaning towards 
us. Grace leaning towards us. And because of that grace leaning towards us, we have this longing for what will be. It allows us to hold on when life circumstances are less than ideal. And I, my hope today is that we will continue to just lean into this concept of joy. As we look at a prophetic word found in the Gospels, I hope that you see the power of the words, God is with us. For me, preparing this talk actually just kind of found some dormant joy that was in me and awakened it as I just looked at the scriptures and the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the new. Last week, Brian continued us on in our discussion on joy, and the Reverend Brian Candelo, he defined Christian joy this way. He said, Christian joy is intelligent, it's profoundly thoughtful, and it grows as we think deeply about the gospel story and our story, as we think deeply about the gospel story and our story. Hey, last week, Brian paid money to have my face printed on a potato, but I'm going to take the high road and just confer great respect for him with this quote right here. There is something true about this, though. There's this intelligent joy that rises in us as we really look at the gospel story and the prophetic words that are fulfilled within it. Today, we're going to look at one of those found in Matthew 1, 20 to 23. You can turn there. I will put it on the screen in a minute as well. But before we dive in, it's important to understand who the audience that Matthew is writing to is. You see, he's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. And with that in mind, he's wanting to convince them that this one that they've been waiting for is Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the promised one. He is greater than Moses, and he's trying to show them that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these prophetic words that we get in the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures, and that is the audience to which he is delivering this message of joy. Matthew actually quotes the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, 62 times. Because he is really just wanting to appeal through the genealogy, through the resurrection to his Jewish audience that Jesus is the promised one. One of the prophetic words that he looks to is found in Isaiah 7.14, written maybe 700 years earlier to the king of King Ahaz at the time. And Isaiah 7.14 says this, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So hundreds of years later, now Matthew is writing and addressing the fulfillment of this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. I'll be reading it from the New Living Translation. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is the word of the Lord. So hundreds of years before this anticipated birth, people heard these words prophesied. 
From Moses to Malachi to Isaiah, we see these prophetic words that are given to release hope to the people of Israel. Hope that a Messiah, a king, would eventually come and liberate them. Random details are given throughout scripture. Micah 5.2 tells us that it's going to happen in this little village called Bethlehem. Psalm 72.10 tells us that these wise men will come and pay tribute to this king. We are told in the Old Testament books of Genesis and Numbers, Jeremiah and Isaiah, that this, this king will descend from Abraham, from Jacob, from the root of Jesse. He'll be from the line of King David. He'll be part of the tribe of Judah. All of these prophecies given hundreds of years earlier are checked off here in Matthew 1, just in the genealogy alone. Matthew is reminding the people that the puzzle is coming together, that these prophetic words have been fulfilled. And here, there's a beautiful lesson for us just about the way prophecy works. You see, prophecy is often used to affirm and confirm. I think so often we look at prophecy and we think, Prophecy is there. We're we're cloud followers here at Salem Alliance, so we're looking for the prophetic words that tell us where to go or how to figure things out, and that absolutely is part of prophecy. It gives us insight and wisdom into decisions that are on the horizon and the directions that we should go. That's clearly seen in Acts 3. But prophecy is much larger than that as well. Prophecy isn't just clues to be figured out. Sometimes the prophetic clues are there, and our faith is affirmed by it. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that prophecy is there for the church. It's there to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And I hope that as you look at all these Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, that the wonder of that, the amazement of that, the transcendence of this book that was written over centuries by all these different authors comes together and points to Jesus. And nowhere do we see more of these incredible prophecies than in the birth, and this Christmas story. For me, once again this year, it allowed intelligent joy to rise up in me. It rooted my faith in a new way. Every year, Advent, as I read through all the prophetic words and see where they're fulfilled in in the coming of Jesus, it's like a shot in the arm of joy and hope for me, and I hope the same is true for you. It's a beautiful thing. Here, Matthew is pulling the pieces together and he's saying, look at this, this is amazing. We have confirmation. Look at how it unfolded. The message of joy is here. The king has come. God's words are faithful and true. If he said it, we can believe it. And so before we even look at the word Emmanuel today, may the power of prophecy strengthen and encourage your faith this Advent season, and may intelligent joy rise in you. Focusing beyond the prophetic of this text, we get the name of Jesus called Emmanuel. God is with us. The names of God, the names of Jesus are such a beautiful thing. We sing a diversity of these names. Many of you probably in your own worship, worship through the names of Jesus. The early church did this well, and many in the Orthodox community did this often. In fact, Muhammad noticed this among the Christians, and so he brought it into the religion he created, Islam, and many devout Muslims wear a bracelet with 33 beads. 
They pray around it three times to cover the 99 names of God. And there's something beautiful in that. Jesus is given so many names throughout scripture that are so powerful. King of kings, Lord of lords, anointed one, the Messiah, the great physician, prophet, priest, king, wonderful counselor, lion of Judah, prince of peace, the good shepherd, light of the world. But today I want to pause and I want to celebrate the name Emmanuel. It's one of my favorite. Before we go any further, though, up on the screen, we're going to put the word Emmanuel. A lot of debates. Do we spell it with an E or with an I? I mean, one of our songs had it with an E, and yet here in the New Testament, Matthew, we have the I. So how many of you out there, you think you're pretty confident it's the I? How many of you are pretty confident it's the I? Not many of you. How many of you are with the E, right? Yeah, a lot more of you are with the E. Hey, I's. You got this one. You got this one. And ease, you also got this one. That's one of the beauties of the name Emmanuel. You could spell it with an I or with an E. It's actually a transliteration from the Hebrew and the Greek, which is why we have the differences there. But when we recognize the power of this name, God is with us, we recognize that he pursued us. That's part of the richness. That's part of the beauty of the name. It means that he pursued us. So great is his love for us that he revealed himself to us by becoming like us. This is revelation. I think so often we look at revelation, and revelation is a word from God, maybe a word of knowledge, or revelation comes through God's word. It comes through a dream or a vision, but here it comes through flesh and blood. God became man. 1 Timothy 3.16 tells us this, without question, this, this incarnation is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed, revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by the angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in through the world and taken to heaven in glory. He was revealed Jesus reveals to us the Father. He tells us that that is one of his purposes when he talks with Philip in John 14. Anyone who has seen me, Jesus says, has also seen the Father. In this extravagant pursuit doesn't stop there because have you recognized, have you stopped this Advent season to recognize the humility in God's pursuit of you and me? It's, he humbles himself. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says, He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Think about this. Jesus redeems eternity by actually inhabiting time in taking that limitation upon himself. He limits himself to redeem eternity. That is how much he longs to pursue you and pursue me. Emmanuel, God with us. The name reminds us of the extravagant and humble pursuit of God towards us, his creation. 
The other thing the name reminds us is that he gets us. He gets us. Now God knows us. Now we know God. I'm not questioning the all-knowingness, the omniscience with this statement. My goal is to simply highlight the beauty of the incarnation. God took human form. He knows us in a new way through the humanity of Christ. He feels what it feels like. Proximity breeds understanding. Proximity breeds empathy. We have a saying, when you've walked a mile in their shoes, then you'll understand. And Christ came to earth and walked 33 years in our world. Sometimes my my kids will say, Dad, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And sometimes they are absolutely right. But so often, I simply remind them of, I was your age once. I walked through middle school as well. I had a coach that I thought should play me more and didn't. I understand that frustration. I understand that betrayal. I understand what it's like to be canceled just because you have an opinion about a coffee house. (laughs) Recently, a young couple came to me and said, hey, I would love to just connect with you. Uh, Recently married, we're not making much money. It's really hard right now. Just like would love some prayer and, and counsel. I was able to step into that. As a young married person, I knew what that was like. Jess and I both turned down more lucrative jobs so that we could teach in an inner city school in Boston. We were making so little that we could not afford health insurance. In fact, we had to have a side hustle, and so we cleaned the church that we attended on Saturdays. My first paid position in a church was scrubbing the toilets, which taught me a lot, actually. But I'll never forget that first fall, it got a little cold, Jess made some brownies, and she went to take them out of the oven, and when she was taking them out, she went to cut them, and she was holding them, and the cheap pan that they were in, the knife went straight through and hit her in the wrist. She was bleeding, we rushed to the ER, and there we found out that she had hit a nerve and that she would need surgery in a week or two. Those next couple of nights were kind of sleepless nights because we had no health insurance. We were dirt poor. We were just making it through. And, and, and I was just like, where is this money going to come from? And that anxiety started to come over. And you would toss and turn. And how is this going to work out? And I'll never forget pushing her, just watching her, and sit, praying for her, saying goodbye as she gets wheeled into the operating room. And then I ran right upstairs to the financial office of the hospital. And I went in and I said, hey, here's the deal. My wife is getting surgery right now. I have no idea how we're going to pay this. But I want you to know, like, I'm a responsible person. I want to figure it out. Can we set up a payment plan? How can we, how can we figure this thing out? And quickly, the person just paused, and he said, well, well what, was your, what was your job last year? How much money did you make? What does your W-2 stay from last year? I said, last year, I, was, I didn't have a job. I was a college student. I was uh, an athlete, didn't have much time to work, maybe made like $5,000. And the person just laughs and says, relax, young man. Relax. We'll cover the whole surgery. In fact, we'll sign you up for free health insurance for the next year. I'll never forget that moment of provision, of Jehovah Jireh, but I also won't forget the week leading up to the surgery and what it felt like and the ability that now I have to enter in to young couples when they're struggling financially. You see, proximity breeds that deeper understanding. Proximity breeds empathy. God became man and lived in the world that we call home. He gets us. He's walked in our shoes. He lived the life that we live. He suffered. He experienced joy. 
He had difficulties at times with his parents. He experienced hunger and anger. He had friends, friends that were loyal and friends that betrayed him. He gets us. And when we pray to him, that empathy is present for us. Emmanuel means that Jesus identifies with us. Recently, there's been a campaign on television called He Gets Us. It's filled the billboards and commercial slots on television and on social media, and there's these short videos. If you haven't seen them, I'd encourage you to check it out later today and just watch some of these short clips that show us the humanity of Christ and therefore his empathy and encourage us, therefore, to go to him, to go to him. He gets us our tears. He's cried. He gets us our loneliness. He gets it. If you're misunderstood by your family, he gets it. If you fled your nation because of violence as a refugee, he gets it. If when things got difficult, you have felt abandoned by those you considered your closest friends, he gets it. If the injustices of our world get you so upset and passion just rises in you and you have to do something, he gets it. You see, this idea of a distant God in his subjects, that, that concept, not with Jesus. Christmas blows that whole misconception out of the water. He is with us. Church family, this is the gospel. Step back, look at the whole arc of the story, the garden, the creator walking with his creation. It is good. They are in communion together when sin enters. The awfulness creates a separation between God and his creation. And through the pages of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, we do see him show up, maybe on Mount Mount Sinai or maybe in a burning bush, and he dwells in the Holy of Holies in this temple where people don't have access. Until this, until Emmanuel comes on the scene. It starts here with the birth of Jesus. It's taken to a whole nother level when he breathes his last on the cross, when the curtain in the temple is torn and access is given. Sometime later, Jesus prepares to return to the Father and he meets with his disciples and he tells them it's actually good that he's living. The with us thing will continue on. In John 16, 7, he says, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. The spirit, the advocate, if I do go away, I will send him to you. And on that day of Pentecost, he does. Jesus with us, spirit with us, access to the Father granted. But when you look at the story, throughout the story, there are plenty of opt-out moments for God. His covenant with his people is broken. Israel's rebellion, their forgetfulness, their setting up of another idol, the disobedience and the defiance. Oh, there are so many times that the straw could have ended it, but never once. No. Instead, Jesus enters our world. Even then, getting a taste of our humanity the injustice that we place on one another, the abundant greed that exists, the envy, the lack of love. And even then, God does not abandon us to our own self-destruction. Instead, Jesus, the Son of God, takes on nature, our nature, with eternity in mind.
Advent reminds us of what one day will be. One of the beauties of Matthew's gospel is that it ends just as it begins. Our text today, Matthew 1, Emmanuel, God is with us. And at the very end of Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The book ends, his presence with us, his name reaffirmed. To the end of the age, God's rightful place with his people. What do we look forward to? Revelation 21.3 makes it clear. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Back to Candelo's quote. Christian joy is intelligent. It is profoundly thoughtful and it grows as we think deeply about the gospel story and our story. The gospel story, it's what we've pondered here this morning. But what about our story? What about our story? Have you noticed his presence with you? How was God with you this past week? Can I encourage you to open and see his presence with you in the coming week? For some of you, that feels uncomfortable. Let me remind you that his nearness is not a magnifying glass trying to see if you mess up or not. No, he's for you. He's walking with you in your current realities, the good and the bad. Psalm 23 reminds us of this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. He's with us. He walks with us. He sees us. Not in the weird Santa Clausy type of way. He knows if you've been bad or good. He's omniscient. Yes, but it's not like that. He's not grading you. He's for you. He's journeying with you through our humanity. Friends, it's his grace leaning towards us. This is joy. Which leads to the second and final question. Has he redeemed your story? Have you experienced that grace? Have you allowed him to reframe and redeem your past and invite him into your future? He came to be with us. He sees us. He saves us. He gives us the security that we desire. This is joy. This is grace leaning towards us, God with us. If you've never received Christ and experienced this eternal joy, can I just encourage you, as we continue to worship this morning, Paul says to the church in Rome, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And this morning, would you even consider as we worship and after the service, coming to the cross, We'll have people there that would love to talk to you about what it means to repent, to turn towards him, to allow him to take care of the future and to give you this joy that we sing about. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a good father. Lord, you never abandoned us. 
you never left us. In fact, when you left the earth, you gave us your spirit, and we thank you for that. Lord, for anyone in this room who doesn't know you in the way that we're speaking of, that hasn't experienced that joy, would you come? Would you just, would you just pursue them? Remind them that you came to earth for them. Show them your extravagant pursuit. Show them the grace that you so long to give to them. And Lord, would you draw them to you this morning? For those of us that know this grace, Lord, would you let intelligent joy arise in us as we walk through this Advent season, as we read your word, as we sing the names of who you are. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.